Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode 74! This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas. And boy, howdy. We are in December. Christmas is almost here. And we're, uh, let's see, we're at the tail end of Hanukkah right now. So that means a lot of family time. A lot of sitting around in rooms with your loved ones. And what better way to sit in a room with your loved ones, stuffing your face with food and alcohol and eggnog and Anishevitz than with with, uh, sitting in front of the TV watching some films. And on this episode, I'm going to be taking a look at all the movies I uh, reviewed this year. Well, I'm not going to take a look at all of them. I've already taken a look at it all. <laughs> but uh, on Skeleton Factory, between uh, regular Skeleton Factory episodes and Patreon, I reviewed something uh, something around almost 60, just under 60 movies this year in 2023. And a lot of good stuff. A couple of stinkers, but, you know, for the most part... Really good list of stuff this year. So I wanted to go back and kind of pick out my top 10 favorite films I've reviewed this year. And um, it's a really good top 10 list. I mean, I think um, most of these films, I think you could uh, watch with family this holiday season. Not all of them, I wouldn't recommend, but but, (laughs) wouldn't recommend watching all of them, but most of them you can, and they're good movies, great rewatchability, and um, yeah, this episode's going to be a lot of fun. So yes, this is going to be my top 10 favorite reviews on Skeleton Factory in the year 20... 23. So, uh, these films I can wholeheartedly recommend, and the variety will absolutely blow your mind. Uh, we have some comedies, we have foreign dramas, we have documentaries, we have horror films, science fiction films, and uh, as an advocate for owning and collecting and curating a library of physical media... So if you have a VHS, DVD, or Blu-ray collection of your own, or, or you're thinking of starting a collection, I'd say do it. Um, you know, to just to put it simply, all the digital movies you quote-unquote own, uh, you don't really own. Okay, so I like to I like to hedge my investments. Okay, physical media is the gold of. Uh, <laughs> of of investments when you're investing in your entertainment so but this list of films are some real some real gems that are worth owning okay so let's just uh well before we jump into it uh if you are not already following me on instagram i'm at skeleton underscore factory i am at x 
at SF Podcast ATX. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. Uh, Skeleton Factory on Patreon, that's that's the best place to support the show, and there's a bunch of free content there. So, you know, I'm not really hiding much behind a paywall as of now. 2024, it may change, but pretty much everything on Skeleton Factory uh, I put out into the world for free, and then uh, you can listen and decide for yourself if you'd like to support the show. What else? Oh, oh my God. How can I forget? Um, if you are in Texas, if you are in Austin specifically, you can head down to a place called Tweety's Bar. It's located at 2908 Fruith Street in Austin, Texas. And that is where I host a horror and cult film trivia night. I do this on the first and third Tuesdays of every month. Okay? So you can go to TweetiesBar.com for more information about uh, events they have going on there, their location, so on and so forth. They're also on Instagram at TweetiesBar. So let's just jump right into this list. Okay? Here's my top 10 list of my favorite movies I've reviewed. In the month, in the month, (laughs) in the year rather of 2023. So number 10 is a film called The Civil Dead from 2022, directed by a guy named Clay Tatum. And it's from the comedy duo of uh, Whitmer Thomas and Clay Tatum. And it's also starring Whitmer Thomas and Clay Tatum. And they play the characters of... Whitmer and Clay. <laughs> so, uh, Civil Dead was done on the cheap. It was done during, um, it was made during COVID. And, but it's, um, it's, it's brilliantly done. And it's really funny. And um, it's one of the, I, you know, I, I really try to like and get into comedies. But I'm I'm disappointed with most comedies, quite frankly. But this, but the Civil Dead was, a, uh, you know, an exception that I was <laughs> very very excited to uh, to have watched this and and actually have enjoyed. So basically, the Civil Dead is a story of um, a guy named Clay, played by Clay Tatum, and he is a photographer who's sort of between jobs who is left alone at home while his girlfriend is out of town for work. So while out taking photos one day, he runs into the character of Wit, played by Whitmer Thomas. And they sort of catch up and uh, they, you know, they, they catch up, they have some drinks, they stay up late, you know, just stay up late broing down at Clay's apartment. And, um, the next morning, Clay wakes up completely hungover, uh, and Wit crashed out uh, at Clay's place. And, you know, he's basically like, oh, crazy night last night. Yeah, totally, bro. Uh, so I got a bunch of stuff to do, so I'm going to have to kind of ask you to, you know, leave, you know, so I can start my day. And and, and Wit is like, um, Wit says, uh, like, he, he can't leave. 
And Clay's like, well, why? And Whitmer's reason is because he says that he's a ghost. Whit explains that he's not sure how long he's been a ghost. He doesn't know how really long, how long he's been dead. But he um, he can't just move. He can't he can't just move uh, like normal people do. He can't open doors and can't you know do things like like us living people can do. Okay, so so that means he can't eat. He can't sleep. He can't interact with physical objects in any way you know he um he definitely can't open doors he can't drive can't even masturbate on top of that no one can see him except clay clay's like the first person who has been able to actually see to see whitmer so clay is a skeptical uh of of what's claims of being a ghost so so he's like, so they're in the kitchen at this point, and he and when we're sitting in a chair, and uh, and Clay takes a Polaroid of Wit, and is you know it's kind of a dramatic scene. He you know he's uh, he's kind of sitting there. He takes a Polaroid and he's waiting for it to develop, and as soon as it develops, he sees that Wit is missing from the picture. So Clay is. Uh, obviously freaked out and clay is so clay's the only person who can see wit and frankly he doesn't he doesn't like wit that much really i mean they were sort of they were sort of friends in high school but they're like adults now and they really haven't spoken since high school so the last thing he wants is a a ghost of a guy that he sort of uh, i guess ghosted <laughs> like like forever ago but as the movie gets going and they set up the you know Whitmer's a ghost thing um they they end up do they end up having some fun with the i i i have a ghost friend theme right so there's this, there's a scene where they go to this like rich like movie producer guy's house who has uh, like a poker game and of course wit helps clay win a bunch of money off these rich dudes and it's a fun scene and it's it's like a bonding scene right so clay uh, clay is sort of a dude who kind of self-isolates and does have a uh, doesn't have a lot of friends and you can kind of get the that same feeling from wit like they both kind of have that in common which i don't think is a um I don't think it's that, that uncommon of a thing. You know, I, I know a lot of guys like that. I'm kind of like that some, like sometimes. Of like, you don't want to be around people. So you just kind of squirrel yourself away. And um, record movie podcasts. No. <laughs> or, you know, but it's, it's nice to see that these two are sort of having some kind of you know doing shit w with a friend kind of thing you know i wouldn't go as far as to say both of them are sort of like incels but you know they they are they are a typical man of the day i would say so they have they kind of have their fun with like 
hey, I have a ghost friend and everything. But eventually, Clay's girlfriend, Whitney, comes home. And I just think it's funny that the ghost's name is Whitmer and his, you know, girl, uh, or, I mean, the ghost is Whitmer and his girlfriend's Whitney. So, you know, it's... It really speaks to the not so much the shoestring uh, shoestring budget of the movie, but it it, it kind of speaks to how minimal and and deliberate a lot of the things in the movie were. Where it's like, what's the point of having character names? Characters, I mean, that's just that's a, that's just another thing to type out. Let's let's just have our regular names in the movie. So I thought that was like really funny. But eventually, you know, Whitney comes home and Clay can't tell. God fucking damn it. Let me take that again. But eventually Clay's girlfriend, Whitney, comes home and Clay can't tell her, hey, babe, guess what? I, I have an imaginary friend who is the ghost of some guy I knew from high school. Okay. And he's going to live with us um, now as I am the only person who can actually see him. Okay. That that's, that's not going to work out. So clay has to figure out how he's going to have a ghost friend in his life without it affecting his relationship with Whitney, because keep in mind, you know, he can't have a ghost friend that he tells anybody about. No one else can see Whitmer. Okay. He can't really prove he has a ghost friend. You know, Whitmer can't really move objects or make himself visible or known, you know, in any way. So how does Clay deal with this? That is the question. Well, I, you're just going to have to find out for yourself, okay? You're going to have to watch The Civil Dead from 2022. Really like this movie. Um, it's it's actually a funny comedy, okay? It's not one of those comedies that sort of uh, has, has, has kicked on layers of other themes um, on it that really don't need to be there. You know, what's, like, what's a good example? I mean, this movie is kind of, uh, you know, kind of quite a few years removed at this point. But it's like that movie Funny People. Remember Funny People? Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a movie that had the potential to be really funny, but it's just not really funny. And it ends up just being a movie about a, a, a guy dying from cancer. You know, it's just like whatever whatever happened to movies that were just funny the whole time. And um, that's what The Civil Dead is. So I definitely recommend it. Also, I, I uh, Whitmer Thomas, he's a stand-up comedian. You may have seen him at a local comedy club, you know, but he's a stand-up comedian. He's also a musician, and he has a... HBO special coming out in February. I believe it's February 22nd. So good for him. 
you know, he's, he's moving on up in the world and, um, yeah, he's on Instagram too. You can, you can find Whitmer Thomas there and, uh, he makes funny content with, with Clay Tatum. So, and they also have a podcast called Casino Boy Podcast. So if you want to listen to the review of the Civil Dead, it's kind of a weird episode, actually. Um, the Civil Dead, I, ooh, let's see. It was on Patreon. It was a Patreon episode. And I reviewed um, Capricorn 1, the OJ Simpson movie where they fake a going to Mars. <laughs> It's better than it sounds, actually. Um, I like Capricorn One, uh, and I'm uh, and and the Civil Dead. On that episode, it it was basically I called a friend of mine, this a friend of mine named Kyle, out in California. So um, Kyle's audio isn't amazing, but um, <laughs> and since then I've talked to Kyle, and we've uh, actually talked to him yesterday. And we've talked about doing an episode where um, he's not driving in a car during uh, morning traffic on the Bay Bridge. So, <laughs> so basically, that whole episode was me describing uh, these movies to to Kyle. So, if you want to listen to that, that is on Patreon. All right, let's jump into number nine. And number nine is a movie called nr10 i guess it's technically called number 10 okay but i've been calling it nr10 but you know depending on who you talk to they call it number 10 but you know what's interesting is i actually looked up the abbreviation because it's nr.10 okay so i did always called it nr10 but it's interesting the abbreviation for number isn't necessarily nr like there's actually a lot of nr is abbreviation for a lot of different things it's kind of weird actually and i i wonder if that was actually in like intentional by by the director i don't know but let's jump into it uh uh but i'm, I'm just gonna <laughs> I've all, I've been calling it NR10 so long. I'm just gonna keep calling it that instead of the number 10 because that's what it looks like. It looks like NR10. So NR10 from 2021, directed by Alexander Van Warmerdam. It is a Dutch film, and um, actually, he also uh, directed a Skeleton Factory favorite, the movie Borgman, um, also an Alexander Van Warmerdam film from 2013. And I review both of these movies, actually, NR10 and Borgman on episode 52. Um, the episode, this was when I was still making titles for each episode and not actually numbering them. So if you go through the Skeleton Factory episodes, you'll find that in, in the beginning. In the beginning, I just I would just like come up with titles for the episodes, and then eventually I was just like, "Fuck it!" I, and now I just put what number the episode is and what movies are being reviewed, and that's it. So, so yeah, this was on episode fifty-two, and that episode was titled "Modern Dutch Fantasy and Sci-Fi," 
And on that episode, I also reviewed um, uh, the movie Blue Ruin and Red Rock West. Uh, two two movies I recommend, by the way. So, so if you want to listen to that episode, uh, go find episode fifty two and and listen to that. So, so NR ten. So let me see. If let's see, if you're a fan of uh, Yorgos Lanthimos films or David Lynch, I think you would really get a kick out of NR ten. And the st- it's the story of a man named Gunter who's a stage actor who's having an affair with the wife of the director of the current play that he's performing in. And things get sort of, um, things hilariously come to a head and Gunter has to get out of town. He has to kind of, has to kind of skip town. And this is basically half the film, really. It, it, it sort of builds up the kind of first, you know, first third half of the film is built up as like a drama and it establishes everyone sort of attached to this extramarital affair that uh, Gunter's involved with. And we're also introduced to the character of Lizzie, who's Gunter's adult daughter. And um, they basically have this conversation at one point where after a recent doctor's visit, basically a checkup, um, she's told that she has only one functional lung, and that one lung is abnormally large. Okay? She's perfectly healthy, you know what I mean? But she had to get a chest x-ray, and they're like, you know you only have one gigantic lung instead of having two normal-sized lungs? And she's just like, hmm, that's weird. I feel fine. And... um you know, so this, so this is something uh, highly foreign to the doctors, and they ask if she can get Gunter, her dad, to come in to also get a chest X-ray to see if he has this same lung anomaly. And Gunter's like, no way. Gunter is like, he's never been sick before in his life and has no interest in going to a hospital. Okay, so one day. G- Actually, I should, I should point out this movie's weird. <laughs> so if I'm, if I'm just like jumping from thing to thing to thing and they don't seem to be connected, um, they are connected in the movie, but you know, it's, but they don't, when I describe it, it doesn't seem like they're connected, but they are. Okay. So <laughs> one day, uh, Gunter is walking on a bridge and uh, a man stops him and and whispers this sort of foreign-sounding word in Gunter's ear. And he seems to know the word, but doesn't know why or how he knows the word the man said. Okay? So later, Gunter's approached by a group of sort of mysterious men and Catholic priests who tell him they know where his birth mother is and where he came from as we find that Gunter was orphaned as a child and he was found alone in the woods and then he was adopted you know uh, and then pretty much had a normal life okay but but he never knew where he came from so now this group of men show up in his life and want to reveal 
Gunter's true identity. So these men invite Gunter and Lizzie to a small rural church in the isolated countryside. And, you know, from there, the movie really starts get gets going and and NR10 has it has a lot of twists and turns and and it has a truly surprising surprise ending and it's a lovely mix of mystery and drama and comedy and um but at the same time it's like a it's like a it's like a thriller and it has uh, a sort of a sort of a hauntingly out of this world ending and i'll just leave it there but i definitely recommend nr10 and i also recommend the movie borgman i kind of feel that these two movies are kind of i don't know if alex van warmerdam is sort of making his own like kind of cinematic world kind of cinematic universe or something like that, but I kind of feel like these two movies live inside the same world. But um, and there's a lot of similar actors that are also in Borgman. But yeah, I definitely would recommend NR10. It's a it's a fun kind of mystery of a movie, and it's definitely something you probably you probably haven't seen anything like this. And uh, Borgman, you definitely haven't seen anything like that. Borgman is fucking weird, but it's really good. <laughs> All right, so go go check out that, and let's jump to number eight. Number eight is My Best Fiend from 1999, directed by Werner Herzog, and this was from episode 73. So if you want to listen to that review in in long, boring detail, go to episode 73 and you can listen to the My Best Fiend review. So this, it's a documentary, by the way, which is what Werner Herzog is sort of known for his documentaries. So this documentary is about he, uh, the turbulent relationship between Werner Herzog and actor Klaus Kinski. So it, it's basically how they met, Herzog's fascination with this sort of like wild animal actor, Klaus Kinski, um, both personal and professional. And... Because it's sort of that's the thing, right? Is they 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 know each other personally, but their but but both their personal and professional lives are just sort of like it's ra- it's rather hot or cold, you know. <laughs> they're rather completely at odds with each other, or they're sort of working harmoniously to create sort of these beautiful films, and and Herzog who uh, not only directs and narrates documentaries about his own movies. Okay. Which is, which is kind of crazy to me. It's for Werner Herzog. He, he makes movies and then he makes documentaries about his own movies 
that he also narrates. It's just, so I love Werner Herzog. He has this sort of like omniscient, omnipresence power over sort of the little corner of cinema that he inhabits. It's, it's great. It's like listening to the, it's like listening to a commentary track done by God explaining how he made the first psychopath on earth or something <laughs> like he's, he's the best. He's, I love listening to Warner Herzog, uh, narrates pretty much anything. So, so in this, this particular documentary, we sort of get this like Werner Herzog, like gif basket of a film. We get, we get, um, behind the scenes, um, making of commentary about Herzog's five films he made with Klaus Kinski and footage of all the drama and ranting and raving of Klaus Kinski in a sort of Dr. Frankenstein and his monster kind of way. So uh, we get interviews with those actors and crew who worked on these Herzog Kinski films and they give sort of varying accounts um, of what they thought of Klaus Kinski. Um, a schizo back and forth of <laughs> Kinski was rather a violent, unhinged tyrant, or he was like this uh, like prima donna, pretentious bully. And then the and then. It, then he's being described as the, like the warmest, most generous, kind-hearted actor. You know, a true genius of his craft. And you know, it, it, it's like different people had different experiences with Klaus Kinski, but it's rather like, like he hit me in the head with a fucking sword on camera for real, or they were like. You know, he, 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 he was the most gracious and, and, and delicate man ever. <laughs> so, um, and then at some point it's like, okay, then we cut to Werner Herzog explaining that he planned on killing Klaus Kinski like multiple times. And he's like completely serious about it. You know, he's like explaining like, like, uh, I planned on firebombing his home while he slept but was thwarted by his Alsacian shepherd, you know, like, like shit like that. And though Herzog is uh, the calmer, sanest, and rational of the two, he may actually be the craziest of the two. But but the the two of them, they're 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 no doubt like two sides of the same coin. Okay, so. It's a brilliant documentary and it's 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 exactly that it's a it's a it's, a, it's Werner Herzog looking back at his relationship with Klaus Kinski and their sort of working relationship and kind of how that all came to an end and yeah and, and if you want to look into Klaus Kinski I mean this documentary makes him seem kind of crazy and unhinged which he was but it believe me it gets a lot darker um <laughs> Koskinski's a lot worse than this documentary um um you know puts forth you know um 
I don't think that Werner Herzog was trying to cover up anything or anything like that, but like things have come to light since this documentary that it's like Klaus Kinsey is like the fucking worst. <laughs> so, but it's a really good documentary. It's super entertaining. It's really interesting. And, uh, yeah, go check it out. It's called My Best Fiend. And if you want to listen to my review of it, that's from episode 73. Okay. All right. Let's jump into number seven. Number seven is a film called Angst from 1983. Directed by Gerald Cargill. And let's see. I reviewed this on episode 60. And that episode was titled Cold-Blooded Killers. And it's an episode, um, it was two movies on that episode. It was Angst and it was uh, The Boys Next Door, which um, The Boys Next Door was almost number seven. But then I had to kind of look at the two movies and I don't know, I, I, the, both these, Boys Next Door and Angst are very violent, very disturbing, but, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like the boys next door would really rub people the wrong way, uh, with the type of violence it was. And I really liked that movie, but when I put them side by side, I'm like, what's, what's the better movie? And it's definitely, it's definitely angst. You know, I like the boys next door a lot, but angst definitely, is number seven for sure. So, and so, okay. So now we're moving on from one Werner and Klaus to another Werner and Klaus. And, um, Angst is a true Austrian cult film. Okay. It's very blunt. It's very matter of fact. It's cruelty is only matched by its memori- um, mesmerizing camera work, score, and unnerving uh, acting. So the story is of a man uh, who's been recently released from prison and immediately goes on a like home invasion killing spree. Okay? So just to kind of get a sense of the tone of this movie, if... This this movie's sort of in the tradition of films like uh, I Stand Alone and The Golden Glove, Man Bites Dog, and maybe even like Maniac to a certain extent. It's violent, yet very kind of artfully done. So, Angst is based on what was called the uh, St. Poulton Murders by real-life mass murderer Werner Knisik. Okay. So he, he was sort of, he was kind of like, I don't know, he had this like weird feral mind uh, and he had like a deep hatred for women. Okay. And he was sort of, he was sort of obsessed with just seeing the fear in people's face when he killed them or attacked them or whatever, you know, like sick dude, really sick. So, from the outset, uh, Werner Knisik was a bastard child who stabbed his own mother. And because of this, he got sent off to like juvenile prison. And once released, he immediately went out and shot a random elderly woman on her own doorstep. 
Okay, so boom, back thrown in back back into prison, right? And this time, as an adult. Okay, so he's in prison for eight years, and once released, is where angst begins. Okay, so that's sort of the true life story of that dude. But the movie really begins where he's getting released after having stabbed his own mother, and then getting locked up, and then shooting some poor elderly woman in broad daylight like on her own porch for no real reason and then he does eight years in prison and this movie kind of picks up like once he's the day he's released so from there the movie is basically his his sort of one day kind of murder spree all right so i think the movie can um I don't think I can really do justice <laughs> to the movie by describing what he does. It's more of like you have to experience it for yourself. So I definitely recommend Angst. I, I like this movie a lot. If you're a fan of uh, of the German electronic stylings of Klaus Schulz, who was like the he was the drummer of the Krautrock Legends Tangerine Dream. Um you know, Onks has a very nice soundtrack for you. I definitely recommend buying a physical copy of, of this movie. Um, you can get one from a company called Cult Epics. I, they, they do a lot of really great releases. Um, especially on Blu-ray. If you can get Onks on Blu-ray, like do that. It looks fantastic. And it um, and it's got like really great special features. So go check out Cult Epics. Um, they have, I think their website's cultepics.com, but yeah, check out angst. If you like any, if you're into like true crime, if you're into, you know, movies about serial killers or, you know, things of that nature, I think angst is sort of, uh, just doesn't romanticize anything. You know, it doesn't attempt to humanize this, this killer. It just, you're just basically watching like a rabid animal go on a killing spree. Okay. So, so be warned this may not be the best thing to watch, uh, with the family during Christmas, but, um, maybe this is something you can watch on an airplane while you're just, <laughs> while you're just sitting there. Anyways, uh, check out angst. I, I, it's, it's pretty good. So now we move on to number six. And it is the film Subway from 1985. And I reviewed Subway on episode 55 of Skeleton Factory. And um, that episode was titled Ghost World, the comic and the movie. And most of that episode is about the Terry Zweigoff film Ghost World. Okay, and I talk about the comic that it's based off of, but but also I talked about this movie, Subway. So Subway, directed by Luc Basson, who you'll know from being the director of The Professional and La Femme Nikita and Fifth Element. So in the simplest of nutshell descriptions, Subway is about the character of Fred, played by Christopher Lambert. Yes, the Highlander, who is a 
professional thief who sneaks into a fancy party in the home of a mafia boss guy and breaks into uh, his safe and steals a file of documents belonging to the mafia boss's wife. Uh, the character of Helena, played by Isabella and Johnny, who, uh, let's see, you'll know her from, uh, well, she was in uh, uh, the Andre Zulowski film uh, Possession. Okay. So Fred is, uh, the movie opens like where Fred, uh, he sort of leads a spectacular high speed chase through the streets of Paris. And um, he's being chased by the, you know, kind of mob bosses, uh, henchmen, right? So he, uh, we get this, we open with this car scene, this car chase scene, and then Fred gets out and hides in the vast subterranean walls and tunnels of the Paris subway system. And there lies an underground world of characters, okay? People who are living in the subway walls who sort of befriend Fred and help him sort of avoid capture from the police one and Helena's husband's sort of mob goons who want the stolen files back and want to kill Fred okay so that's basically the setup like Fred is hiding out in the subway and he's being chased one by the police and two by this group of mobsters that want to kill him. So, I mean, this movie is a really enjoyable, um, it's a really enjoyable ratio of style over substance. You know, I think style over substance is sometimes thought of as a negative thing, but I mean, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that just looks good and there's not much story there, but, um, this is one of those movies that where it's like it looks good and things are entertaining and you don't really you don't really think about the story too much you know like in a good way so and it has a sort of uh, especially you know for the time it was made you know early 80s it has this sort of like new wave punk fairy tale love, love story thing going on but it's also a thriller with kind of odd humor it has a huge cast of kooky characters and, like, you know, fun action set pieces as well. And uh, it, it's, it kind of feels like if Subway was like a, was like a stage play, like I would totally be there open opening night kind of thing. But yeah, it's a, I don't know. I was, I, I don't know. I don't know how people will take this movie. But I feel like it's 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 very entertaining and it's you know I I, I think it really you know given Luke Besson's uh, um, kind of body of work, it's interesting seeing in this movie and and a lot of his movies there's always some kind of love story going on, okay. There's always a relationship between our male protagonist and our female protagonist. And they're, they're sort of surrounded by, um, they, they usually have a sort of a, a, a layer of kind of, um, whatchamacallit, like friendly characters around them. And then beyond that is like everyone in the world is after them kind of thing. 
So, I mean, it's like that with like the fifth element. It's like that with the professional and, you know, it's like that with this movie, but on this movie is it's kind of smaller scale. Like pretty much every movie's done since this is just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But I like this movie a lot. Uh, check it out, especially if you're a Christopher Lambert fan. You know. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that was uh, number six, Subway. <clears throat> Let's jump to number five. I'm going to hit my coffee real quick. All right. Number five is a movie uh, brought to us from West Germany. And it's called Knife in the Head. Knife in the Head from 1978, and I reviewed Knife in the Head on episode 68 of Skeleton Factory, and uh, Knife in the Head was, um, that was, it was solo on that episode, it was, you know, I just reviewed this movie, so if you want to hear a highly detailed review of uh, Knife in the Head, I would say, um, you know, go check out episode 68, so uh, Knife in the Head, uh, directed by uh, Reinhard Hauf. And starring uh, Bruno Gantz. And um, let's see. This movie is sort of like uh, like if you took the, mo- the movie Memento and added a dash of uh, regarding Henry. Okay. In, in, but set in West Germany in the late 70s. Okay. So uh, a man is caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's a... Uh, that's, that's a character of Hoffman played by Bruno Gantz. So he survives being shot in the head by a cop, um, but is now being framed by the police on sort of trumped up charges. Okay. So, you know, he was a guy who would do really did nothing wrong. And then he, you know, he just gets shot by the police for no reason. Okay. So there's that. So while that's going on, um, you know, sort of. Meanwhile, <laughs> he's his estranged wife is having an affair with uh, with this like like the head of the, of this sort of like communist activist group. And basically, what you're you're watching is um, a lot of the movie is him in the hospital, going from basically completely comatose to learning how to walk how to speak again, how to write. And, and since he was shot in the head, I mean, he has a bunch of cognitive uh, problems as well. So he's, it's basically you're watching this man's recovery. Meanwhile, the head investigator uh, of the, you know, the police department is convinced that he is some type of, he's like, he's somehow the leader of this like communist activist group, which is, isn't true. And he's, um, he's dangerous and he's possibly a terrorist. Okay. So he keeps coming by the hospital while this dude's like laid up in a hospital with his head bandaged up and he's, he can't, he's basically paralyzed and has brain damage. And he's like, like, you know, as soon as you get out of here, I'm going to fucking throw you in prison, you piece of shit, you know? And he's, you know, poor poor Hoffman. He's just a, he's a completely innocent man. So you kind of watch his journey from, getting shot by the police because of his adulterous wife to, you know, getting, uh, getting back on his feet. So, you know, and it's, so the movie's just, it's really, really interesting. And I really love, uh, I just, I love the pace of it. It's a bit of a slow burn, but it's, it's, it's a satisfying slow burn. It's a great movie night pick. Okay. If you just 
want to have a little movie night with your friends and you're like, okay, we're going to watch, we're going to get a little deep and we're going to watch this movie. So, um, if you've seen and enjoyed, uh, Christopher Borgley's, uh, new movie, um, dream scenario starring Nicolas Cage, then you may like knife in the head. They, they have some similar themes and similar themes such as, you know, a normal man who never did anything wrong to anybody who sort of, um, kind of becomes infamous, gets his, his name besmirched and, um, you know, well, now I guess nowadays people call that canceled. Ends up getting canceled and sort of loses, kind of loses everything. You know, uh, you watch a guy just lose everything and everyone fucking hates him and he didn't do a thing wrong. <laughs> but obviously in Dream Scenario, it's a, it's also a very funny movie. So, um, so if, if you liked, if, if you saw Dream Scenario, uh, then I would definitely say go watch Knife in the Head. I uh, reviewed two of uh, Christopher Borgley's films, uh, Sick of Myself and Drib. You can go find those reviews as well. Just a side note. So, um, yeah, Knife in the Head is a drama with heavy kind of commentary about how the police manipulate the media to slander and liable an innocent man um, simply to cover up the actions of a single tr trigger happy cop. That's basically that's basically what's going on in the movie. But it's fun to kind of watch it play out. Right? All right. So yeah, I definitely recommend Knife in the Head. Go go find it. It's uh, it's not too hard to find. All right. So let's jump to number four. And number four, we're going to lighten the mood up a little bit. It is uh, a film called True Stories from 1986. And I reviewed True Stories on episode 61. And uh, that episode was titled Feel Good Cult Movies Part 2. And that was uh, the second part of... Um, I, uh, well, I did one episode called uh, Feel Good Cult Movies and... People really liked that episode, so I did another one, and I did True Stories, and uh, also did the Jim Jarmusch film Mystery Train, okay? So if you want to go listen to that episode, go do so. So um, yeah, True Stories, I uh, really like this movie a lot. It's it's directed by David Byrne, who you'll you probably know him better as being the, uh, the lead singer and guitarist of the band The Talking Heads, and... Uh, True Stories is one of the kind of the last great movies um, used as a vehicle for uh, a band's music. In this case, the Talking Heads. And I don't want to say that um, True Stories is like a musical in the purest sense, but there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of music in this movie. It's it almost feels like it's a, it's like the musical Wes Anderson never directed, okay? Which I'm glad because True Stories is kind of more centered in like the real world, but has sort of a 1980s Sears K 
catalog, prefab planned community sort of feel to it. Okay, so it has it has this almost um, like it feels familiar, if that makes sense, um, and it shines a spotlight on kind of people's idiosyncrasies. Okay, and the title true stories, um, the title itself comes from sort of a collection of images and articles and tabloids, uh, uh, tab like, uh, like articles and images from like tabloid magazines that David Byrne sort of collected over the years and sort of drawings that he did. And as the story goes, this, all these images he made into a collage. Okay. And this collage of pictures and print ads and articles was on the wall of David Burns sort of furnitureless home in the Hollywood Hills. Okay. So director Jonathan Demi, who directed the talking heads live concert film, stop making sense, which I highly recommend. It's I used to give stop making sense as like birthday and Christmas gifts to people. It's unbelievably good. Um, but Jonathan Demi, who you'll know as the director of uh, Silence of the Lambs, he went on, um, uh, well, he was already kind of friends with David Byrne, right? And he, uh, Jonathan Demi was also friends with a guy named Stephen Tobolowski, who's an actor. You know, he was, um, he was, he was Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day, okay? So uh, Jonathan Demi introduce Stephen Tobolowski to David Byrne and David Byrne uh, and him, they get to talking and then he invites Stephen Tobolowski over to his house and he shows him the wall and says like, look at this collage on, on this wall. Like Stephen Tobolowski's like looking at it like, okay. And he's like, he's like, do you think you can write a movie based on this wall? And he said, uh, yeah, I think I could probably do that. And so you ever watch a movie and think to yourself, this movie looks like the result of a large curated group of talented, unique people making something genuine and authentic. And I feel good and warm and, uh, and, and, a, and a, a whimsical tingling sensation lingers with me after viewing this film. You ever, you ever have that? Well, that's this movie. <laughs> and if you, if you want to know more about um, how true stories came to be, um, I recommend listening to Stephen Tobolowski's, uh, he has a podcast called The Tobolowski Files. Uh, his, his name is uh, T-O-B-O-L-O-W-S-K-I, Tobolowski. Uh, the show's called The Tobolowski Files. Um, it's a podcast. If you go to episode 44, uh, that episode is uh, called The Voice from the Other Room. Uh, he goes into details about how True Stories was made. and um, But in... In a nutshell, True Stories is about a it's about a bunch of people from the fictional town of Virgil, Texas, and everyone there has their own sort of like quirky stories that intertwine with each other. and And um, the movie basically centers around uh, centers on um, 
the character of uh, Louis Fine. And Louis Fine is played by John Goodman, whose character works for like the big corporation in town. Okay. Um, who's just a kind of like a fun loving guy who just wants to find a wife. That's like his whole characters. He's like, he's Lewis is looking for love. And much of the film is about Lewis, but there's, you know, there's a ton of other characters that have their own things, but everyone's, everyone's all kind of, um, everyone kind of comes together at the end. You know what I mean? Like everybody, all these different people all sort of somehow know each other kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, David Byrne is dressed as a cowboy and he's sort of our guide, our narrator throughout the film. And he's, he's sort of like a less ominous, uh, Rod Serling kind of character in this movie. So again, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a vehicle for talking heads music. So there's a lot of music in it and, um, you know, it, it it's, um, it's a really relaxing film. It's a good rainy day film. It's a really good, um, I, I think, I think it's a really good kind of like uh, movie night film with friends. If no one, if you, if you don't want to watch angst <laughs> or knife in the head, that's a little too intense. Watch true stories. It's a, it's a nice relaxing, um, kind of fun film to watch. And I, I definitely recommend it. And I would say it's, it's for all ages. You know, I think you can just put this on during Christmas and it can just be playing in the background and it won't, uh, it won't freak out grandma or, uh, any of your nieces or nephews or anything like that. So also if you're a talking heads fan, it's like required watching, you know, maybe as I would say as much as watching stop making sense. So, you know, um, and if, you don't know much about talking heads or whatever. And like, like this movie is a good gateway into sort of David Burns kind of creative mind. And, um, yeah, I, I, I love this. I love this movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, actually I have, I have a vintage true stories poster right here in the studio as a matter of fact. So yeah, go check that out and definitely go check out stop making sense. You know, um, even if you want to just listen to it in your car, cause it's a concert film, go check out that. It's really good. All right. Let's jump into number three. Number three is a film called in the soup from 1992. So in the soup, I reviewed on episode 70, um, along with the film, uh, street smart in the soup and street smart. That's a pretty good double feature movie night. Actually, uh, street smart is like Morgan Freeman plays a pimp <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, uh, Christopher Reeve is like a, like a reporter who kind of gets mixed up with uh, Morgan Freeman's pimp character and, you know, things escalate and it gets kind of violent, but, um, it's, a uh, I like street smart, you know, but in the soup is a lot, it's a lot more lighthearted. <laughs> so, um, so in the soup directed by Alexander Rockwell, it's a lovely comedy starring Steve Buscemi and Seymour Castle and the lovely Jennifer Beals 
with um, all of the 90s indie film shot in black and white kind of charm that sort of uh, existed in in the 90s and um, even though even though it was actually shot in color and then it was made into black and white and I'm sure if you look hard enough you can find a colorized version of um, in the soup but um, those are primarily European copies you know and like every copy you find in the states is all in black and white which is fine this is fine this movie works very well as a black and white film so in the soup follows the character of Adolfo Rolo played by Steve Buscemi he's like a down on his luck aspiring filmmaker living in a rat infested dump of an apartment in New York City and he's desperate for rent money and he basically sells the only thing he thinks has any value and no it's not his body it's a 500 page script that he's been working on it's his life his life's work also a 500 page script by the way that's way too long that's it's it's like it's that's that's part of the comedy of this movie is uh, his, his script is just absurdly long 500 pages is like that's that's like that's like how many pages would exist in like a like a like a Netflix series, okay? Not a movie. So, uh, so he tries to sell his script and 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 miraculously ends up selling the script to a sort of charismatic gangster uh, named simply Joe, played by Seymour Castle, and Joe serves as sort of Adolfo's new kind of best friend, father figure, and now primary investor and producer of Adolfo's movie. But Joe is like an is like an old school type gangster who makes his money doing old school gangster type stuff, right? So he enlists the help of Adolfo in the uh, transportation and selling of stolen goods as a a way to raise the necessary funds for Adolfo's movie. Okay. And Adolfo just is like, fine. You know, if we, (laughs) if we got to do some illegal shit in order for me to get the money, like, sure, I'll help you. Why not? So, Oh, also Joe does sort of like wingman duty and introduces Adolfo to his next door neighbor. Who's his, like his, his crush. Okay. Who's really his muse for his script. Really his, his neighbor, uh, Angelica, played by Jennifer Beals, who's uh, kind of wants nothing to do of, with Adolfo. <laughs> okay, she's like a single mom who works in a coffee shop. But Adolfo, he, he you know, he kind of he has honorable intentions. You know, it's not like he's totally creeping out on her or anything. But um, he wants Angelica to star in his movie because he's like, he's like, I, I basically wrote this part with you in mind and I would love it if you played this part you know he's you know it's sort of his it's sort of his infatuation with her is you know he sees her as his star so um that's kind of that's that's sort of in a nutshell what the movie's about okay so we see the process of of Adolfo um you know uh, of Joe coming into his life and them kind of uh, (laughs) 
like doing illegal stuff in order to get money for this movie. And after a while, time kind of goes on and like they haven't really started shooting the movie or anything. So at some point, Adolfo becomes kind of um, wary about Joe. He's like, are we actually ever going to make a movie or are we just going <laughs> to keep uh, keep on with this criminal enterprise kind of thing? And the movie's very funny and it's it's really, really charming. But I recommend this movie. It's very charming. It's very funny. It's loaded with a great supporting cast. You have uh, Carol Kane and Jim Jarmusch and Sam Rockwell plays uh, Jennifer Bill's mentally handicapped brother. Debbie Mazar's in there. Uh, Elizabeth Brocko's in there. You know, really, really good cast. And that's kind of before all these people became famous, you know. Sue... And who doesn't love some 90s Steve Buscemi? Like 1990s Steve Buscemi movies. I mean, I mean, take a look at Steve Buscemi's IMDb sometime, okay? Like, look at his movies that he's been in, especially in the 90s. It's, it's truly amazing, okay? In the 90s, you have like Fargo, Reservoir Dogs, Ghost World, Living in Oblivion, Airheads, Big Lebowski, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing, and uh, and this movie too. It's it's a it's really charming. Okay, so I, I and it's it's kind of a sweet movie. It's it's a good date movie. I think you know if you want to have a like let's hey let's curl up on the couch and watch a movie. That's it's a sweet film, and and it's uh, and it's funny. So so let's jump to number two. We're already at number two, okay? And number two is a movie called The Year Between from 2022. It's a comedy directed by, uh, directed by, written by, and starring Alex Heller. And she does a hell of a job with this movie. Um, it's so, you know, and finally, Gra uh, Gravitas Ventures made a watchable movie. And that's The Year Between. Yes, the year between follows the character of Clements, played by Alex Heller, and uh, she's a hilariously bipolar and low-key scary college student who torments her dorm roommates to the point where Clements's mom has to get called in to pull her out of school and bring her home, where there's a shaky yet lovey, loving family dynamic waiting for her right so Clements has two younger siblings who are high school age who are completely embarrassed by Clements she has a younger sister younger brother and um, we also get a very sweet performance by her dad who's played uh, by Steve Buscemi actually and he's, he's he plays the character of Don and, and Don is like he's he's kind of like the the perfect dad like <laughs> i would look if, if anyone's working on a show out there where you need a dad you need a loving dad character like call up steve buscemi because he was great in this movie and um and also equal equally as sweet was um and really the glue holding this whole family together is um clemens's mom played by uh, jay smith cameron and we follow the sort of 
ups and downs of Clements's year at home, hence the year between. Um, we we follow, you know, uh, we follow her uh, her story as uh, she she knows there's something wrong with her. Her mom knows there's something wrong with her, but okay, so she ends up getting diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and we see her kind of deal with you know, the process of uh, psych meds and going to therapy and trying to hold down a job and resist the urge of slipping into bad, toxic behavior befitting of a woman in college with a streak of self-destructiveness inside of her, you know? And there's also a kind of semi-autobiographical edge to this film as uh, uh, Alex Heller is also bipolar in real life and because of that i feel like the sort of mental uh, mental illness aspect of the film is sort of presented in a way that seems um, a bit more authentic and the way the characters deal with uh, alex heller's character the clemens character is written really well and um and you and you really care for this family you know, by the end of the movie, like, like they really, they, they feel like real people and, and, you know, and, and, and sort of the serious moments are balanced with the humor, you know, they're not like undercut by the humor, which I feel like is a kind of a thing nowadays where comedies try to, you know, inject serious moments, you know, and they'll build up a serious moment and then they'll just you know, ruin the moment with some ill-placed humor, but this movie really balances it very nicely, and, you know, um, I like this movie a lot. I think it's really funny. I think it was probably the best comedy of 2022 easily, and um, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, It's called The Year Between. It's very funny, and that was my number two and my number one film, the num- we're at number one now. This was my favorite movie to review in the year 2023. And that, of course, is The Devils from 1971, directed by Ken Russell, starring Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave, based on the Aldous Huxley book, The Devils of Loudon. And if you like movies with sort of like heavy religious overtones, like, you know, like The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, like The Devil must be on that list of all-time greats. And even if, even if you like, you know, you know, kind of the random exorcism type movies or um, what do you want to call it? It's, uh, the Nun. <laughs> Even if you like movies like that, like you'll love this movie. Okay, this movie's uh, this this movie is 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 very underrated. Is like it might be the most underrated movie ever made. Um, so basically, um, the story follows the character of uh, uh, the, of a priest named uh, Father Grandier, and he's played by Oliver Reed. And he plays a uh, Protestant priest in the French city of Loudon in the 17th century. 
and he has come to power of the city of Ludom at a time when the Catholic Church and the French monarchy are they're running things. Okay, they've come together and are now kind of running the country. And Father Grandier is an ideal servant um, of uh, of uh, of the Protestant God. <laughs> uh, he does all his duties required of him. He loves having uh, unprotected premarital vaginal sex with women, and thank God. And but, um, but he's you know, but the, but the people respect him in in Ludon. Okay, he's uh, he's 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 kind of like the the mayor or the governor of Ludon. It's weird uh, his position, but he's definitely the guy in charge. But the local convent is ran by a horny, unhinged nun named Sister Jeanne, played by Vanessa Redgrave. And Vanessa Redgrave's uh, Sister Jeanne character riles up all the nuns in the uh, in the convent into a sort of orgy of blasphemy, and she also makes false makes a false confession to a Catholic cardinal. Um. Basically saying that uh, the reason why she's acting so crazy and all the nuns are acting so crazy is because they were uh, possessed by the evil of of uh, Father Grandier, which isn't true, by the way. Hence the false confession. And she confesses to this Catholic cardinal, uh, Cardinal Richelieu, who wants to basically tear down the city. Okay. He's sort of prevented by... Uh, of, of doing that because uh, there's a bunch of scenes with like the Louis the Thirteenth character, and uh, those scenes, by the way, are insane. The Louis Thirteenth in this movie is completely batshit. But he's basically like, I want. He's like, Ludon is like the last Protestant stronghold in France, and we just got done having a war and taking over the country and turning France into a Catholic country. And he's like, I want to tear that fucking city down. And Louis Thirteenth is like, Yeah, I hear you, but. You know, like Ludon was was uh, loyal to uh, was loyal to the crown, was loyal to the country through the entire war, and we promised to not um, to not uh, you know touch the place. Okay, as they are not aggressors, but Colonel Richelieu is like fuck that. I want to tear that goddamn city down, and but he can't. He legally can't, but because you know he hates a. Uh, he hates Protestants and doesn't want them having their own sovereign city. You know, uh, no, they, you know, they, they have no Pope, you know, they fuck for fun. You know, he, he fucking hates the Protestants. So Richelieu cooks up a plan to take over Ludon and not just overthrow Grandier, but to charge him with heresy and blasphemy and being in league with Satan and being responsible for uh, possessing, allowing the devil to possess the local nunnery, right? Which is conveniently punishable by death. So <laughs> that's Richelieu's plan, and it's and that's basically the that's the nuts and bolts of the devils. And um, but in that framework, it's just an absolutely spectacular example of just sets and music and acting and it's 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 unbelievable 
it's, it's unbelievable what Ken Russell was able to do with this movie. And, um, and I've watched, like, I'm a fan of, um, uh, Christoph Penderecki, the, uh, the Polish music composer. And there is, you can find it online. Um, uh, the devils of Lou Dawn has been, it was like a play before it was a movie. And I mean, it was a book, then it was a play and then it became a movie, but you can, you can find like, uh, you know, filmed the, you can see the play filmed, but like, uh, you can see the live stage performances rather and with Penderecki's music. It's very intense and insane. And, but the movie is just on another level, you know, it's just, it's, it's so fucking wild and almost psychedelic, you know? So, and I mean, the movie itself was also like very controversial at its time and it's somehow still very controversial, which is weird <laughs> because it, I mean, it's been over 50 years since the release of the devils and it's still to this day, completely wrought with, with controversy. And it was, it was initially censored by Warner brothers who made the film. And this isn't like a low budget movie. Like it's a giant fucking multi-million dollar giant fucking movie. And, um, it's still censored to this day. Like getting a director's cut of the devils is like impossible. It's basically being held hostage away from us peasants by Warner brothers. And it's, there's been a lot of filmmakers, uh, Know, and other people in the industry that have some pull who've been trying to get the original cut of the devils released and it's just Warner Brothers like no we're not gonna you know like directors like uh, Guillermo del Toro is you know publicly approached uh, Warner Brothers and being like you, like put out the devils <laughs> please like this movie needs to be seen by people uh, so that it doesn't just become lost to time you know um, the film is i mean it is one of the most visually stunning things ever put before human eyeballs and does justice to the source material which is nice and if you're a fan um of um okay if you're a fan of like terry gilliam's films or maybe you've seen some of ken russell's other films like tommy or lair of the white worm or altered states like watch the devils, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's for me, it's a must, you know, it's, it's must watch, uh, type stuff during the Halloween season in my house. Like you have to watch the devils. And if you can get a physical copy, I'd say, just do it. Um, I mean, I, I got a copy, I think off eBay or something. And it was, it's a, it's like a South Korean <laughs> copy. Um, but it, it looks great. And, but maybe, you know, we'll keep, keep our fingers crossed. Maybe one day, uh, Warner brothers will release like a nice Blu-ray or something of the devils. But until then you got to kind of just find that movie wherever you can find it. But it's, it's really spectacular. It's a really amazing epic film and it's, I, I can't say enough good things about it, but that was my number one film that I reviewed this year right here on skeleton factory so all right well that was my top 10 list guys i hope you enjoyed it uh go back and uh check out some of these films uh let me just 
run through them real quick. Uh, number 10 was The Civil Dead. Number 9 was NR10. Number 8 was My Best Fiend. Number 7 was Onkst. Number 6 was Subway. Number 5 was Knife in the Head. Number 4 was True Stories. Number 3 was In the Soup. And number 2 was The Year Between. And number 1 was The Devils. Alright guys, well... There you go. There's some movies to uh, put on your holiday watch list. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, is there any, um, let's see, is there any honorable mentions? I know I mentioned The Boys Next Door earlier. Um, I reviewed a lot of movies last year. I have I have the list in front of me. Let me just kind of scan through this and see if there's anything else that Almost made the list, but just didn't. <laughs> Is there anything that got squeezed out? Um, oh, I'd say the, let's see. I uh, I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the, there was a 2022 film called Sick of Myself, uh, directed by uh, Christopher Borgley. And he directed the film that's currently in theaters called Dream Scenario, starring... Nicholas Cage. Um, yeah, Sick of Myself is great. It's a, it's, it's, it has that same kind of uh, demented uh, humor <laughs> that, but Dream Scenario is definitely more lighthearted and uh, Sick of Myself is a little darker, but it's, it's really good. I definitely recommend watching that. Let's see. Uh, there's a movie called Viva La Muerte. Let's see. Uh, that's, See, that was on an episode where I reviewed the uh, the movie Pig, which was made by uh, Christian death frontman Roz Williams. Uh, and then uh, there was also 1334, which is kind of a companion film to, thir- uh, to Pig. Um, Pig from 1998, not the, uh, what we call it, not the Nicolas Cage movie Pig. But yeah, Viva La Muerte was on there, and it's a it's a really good movie. It's um, it's a uh, Fernando Arbal film, and he was uh, he was he was like homies with um, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Okay, so think of like Alejandro Jodorowsky with like a smaller budget. That's kind of that's kind of the lane that um, Fernando Arbal sort of occupies, and uh, that was a really good movie. Um, <clears throat> it's it's sort of a it's sort of a about a young a young boy kind of dealing with um the death of his father and you know dealing with a sort of an overbearing religious mother um while at the same time um he, he, there's some uh, freudian kind of uh, elements <laughs> kind of mixed in there as well uh, that was called Viva La Muerte. It's a 1971 film that was really good. But uh, what else? There was there was the 1994 film Killing Zoe that was directed by Roger Avery. Uh, Roger Avery co-wrote uh, Pulp Fiction. Him and Quentin Tarantino are like really close friends, and they have a, a podcast together actually. Um, so you can check out their podcast. But yeah, Killing Zoe is starring uh, Eric Stoltz. And, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good movie. Uh, other than that, uh, let's see. Well, maybe let's do one more. How about uh, Funny Pages from 2022? 
it's a fun little weird it's very kind of odd comedy about this kid who drops out of high school and um he he has a dream of becoming a comic book artist and it's sort of his uh, rocky road uh to become a comic book artist and uh it's fun it's a comedy and um like i said i not a lot of comedies really kind of stick in my memory but that was one that definitely did so there's some honorable mentions okay guys Again, you can find me uh, on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. You can find me at, on X at SF podcast ATX. Follow me there. And you can follow me uh, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash skeleton factory. And you can find me at Tweety's Bar hosting my horror and cult film trivia nights on uh, the first and third Tuesday of every month. All right, guys. Uh, have a great uh let's see this is the second to last day of hanukkah (laughs) as of this recording and have a very holly jolly merry christmas and a happy new year this is the skeleton factory podcast rescuing your movie night one movie at a time i am adam i'll catch you on the next one bye bye